Welcome to the 61st episode of Rank and Review. This week we are going to continue our exploration of the Star Wars universe with a study of the original trilogy. Um, and much like last episode, uh, it was a big topic, so I needed a lot of guests. So you're not just going to be hearing from your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons this week. You're going to be hearing from Ashley Pachkowski, J. Adrian Cook, and Matthew Risling. And we are going to discuss Episode 4, A New Hope, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back, and Episode 6, The Return of the Jedi. And hopefully the tone of this episode will be a little bit less abrasive than the tone of the previous Star Wars-themed episode. Because, as I said at the end of that episode, contrary to the evidence displayed there, I love Star Wars. How much do I love Star Wars? When it was originally being broadcast on television for what I think may be the first or second time, I begged my parents so that I could stay up and watch it. And they acquiesced. And about two-thirds of the way through the movie, I felt so sick that I put myself to bed. My parents knew that I loved Star Wars that much, that something had to be really wrong. And later that night, I was taken to the hospital for an appendectomy. My parents knew that since I decided to skip on the Star Wars, something had to be seriously, seriously wrong. I love Star Wars, and that's what you're going to be hearing throughout this podcast. You're also going to be hearing spoilers for the films discussed, as well as coarse language throughout, so I hope you're prepared for that. Thank you for listening to Rankin Review, and I hope you enjoy it. This is R&R Wars, Nerd My name is Jay Adrian Cook, and I love Star Wars. My name is Ashley Pachkowski, and this is the sound of my voice. Yeah, so I'm just ranking and reviewing one, so I'm finally going to take Karen Geezy down. <laughs> you just you just have to review Star Wars, and I have this feeling like we're going to agree on it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your relationship to Star Wars, and is Star Wars viewed differently because we discovered it through the perspective of childhood? Yes, I mean, Star Wars is... I don't even really know how I would approach that question um, because it's, like, it's just always been in my life. It's, it's. I'm sure the first movie that I remember seeing, although I may have seen other movies before that, but because it came out one year after I was born, and I'm sure 
my dad took me to it in the theater a bunch of times and I saw it a ton of times growing up. I just can't remember a time that I didn't, not only I didn't know it, but I didn't have every scene pretty much memorized. <laughs> like me and my best friend, uh, whose name happened to be Luke, so he always got to be Luke Skywalker, would just spend hours um, playing Star Wars and just sort of um, restaging the scenes and shooting stormtroopers and uh, playing spaceships. Um, so, I mean, it's a huge part of my psychology, I guess. Yeah. What I will say is that I enjoy Star Wars more than I enjoy Star Trek. Okay. And, but, and that Star Wars is indivisible from myself. Yeah. I, I, oh God. Tied into that, do you think Star Wars would be as sacred a property to us or just most of the people of our similar age bracket if we didn't see them? In our formative years. Is that the difference between Star Wars being another movie or Star Wars being the special thing? Having seen them in the formative years is very important, I, I have to say. But there are some, just some people that will never like it. I guess. There are some people that like the idea of it. I remember playing some of the Star Wars card game with my nephew, for instance. And he was having a great time and everything. But he also said, you know... I've never seen any of the Star Wars movies all the way through. And he was... And you slapped him hard across the face. We had to stop playing for a while. <laughs> yeah. I sent him to his room. <laughs> he was a bad boy. And next time I see him, we're going to have to... We're going to have to sit him... I'm going to have to sit him down and, and teach him. <laughs> all right. So I came into Star Wars when the special edition was released in 1997. Yeah. Um, so I, I met each movie at like a month interval interval when I was 10 years old and I loved it. Right. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved, I read the novels um, through high school. I was collecting like figures and weird Star Wars paraphernalia, most of which I still have. Nice. Uh, I credit Star Wars as one of the things that kept me sane and kept me alive. Wow. So. It's just interesting that we have a different perspective and my question is sort of like because we have that love from childhood can Star Wars ever be what it was? Like, is there any way that we can get that back? Or is the fact that we're no longer, you know, kids just have that lost from us? Yeah, I was thinking about that when I watched it uh, just a couple of hours ago. Um, is it a good movie or not? And I I really do believe that it's a good movie. Um, I think it will age so much better than the prequels. I think, I mean, history has already borne that out. I don't Absolutely. think it's a, a controversial statement. But I can sort of see why uh, kids today, you know, the millennials with their <laughs> tweeting and their Snapchat or whatever it is that the young people are into, I can sort of see why there's not a lot of, I don't know, the the they tend to kind of like the prequels because they grew up with them. And maybe uh, if and you're could... seven when you watch it, it's not as shitty, right? Because you don't have that perspective and you don't know how it was made and you don't know that, you know, there were these other much better movies and that the actors were acting in big green rooms, you know? Having all yeah. that knowledge kind of spoils the meal somehow. It is a fairly simplistic soap opera in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but... For instance, the Hoth battle in Empire. I never really fully understood that almost all those rebels on the ground, their lives were being spent just in the interest of letting people escape. This was not a winnable battle. Mm -hmm. This was just buying time. For some reason, I never really clocked that when yeah. I was a kid. I didn't understand the futility of it. Uh, 
I want my kids to get into Star Wars in the way that I was. And it's a really tall order to ask of J.J. Abrams because mm -hmm. I don't think you can watch something with the same perspective as when you're a kid. When you're a little kid and those words pop up on the screen and you hear that John Williams score for yeah. the first time, it's like a whole new playing field just <laughs> opened up for you, right? Yeah. So part of me is tempted to say it's impossible to live up to our memory as a, a, a childhood, but... Mm -hmm. Clearly, we are adults, physically anyway, <laughs> and uh, here we sit still obsessing over Star Wars, so there's some root still, mm -hmm. still in the itching. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. People think that uh, I'm the only huge nerd in the world, or a person capable of terrible nerd rage. Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, which is probably one of the most significant motion pictures ever made, uh, is not without its detractors. Actually, most famously, Alec Guinness. Not a fan. <laughs> See, apparently yeah. he was known to make little kids cry when they came up and referred to him as Obi-Wan. And uh, <laughs> he... You know, despite it making his fortune and despite the fact that his family is still reeking the benefits of his participation in the Star Wars movies, the fact that he is largely culturally remembered as Obi-Wan Kenobi is a real thorn in Alec Guinness's side, which is, I think, kind of unfortunate and takes him down a peg or two. But I also I mean, it is a shame, but you, you kind of get why from his point of view, because... Yeah. He's not Sir Alec Guinness because of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But he did know enough about Hollywood and enough about that screenplay to know that it was going to be huge. And he did make that deal so that despite of his own personal derision, he got a huge compensation out of being part of the Star Wars universe. It certainly wasn't a guaranteed hit, but he believed that it would be. And at that point in his career, he certainly didn't need the gig, right? It wasn't just another yeah. job, right? But he did this movie that he thought was crappy, but he thought that would make money. Uh, one of the things that I noticed today when I was watching Star Wars uh, is just how good Alec Guinness is in it. Yeah. Like, Harrison Ford is good because he's just got this natural Harrison Ford coolness. Mark Hamill is not good. Nope. Um, 
Anthony Daniels, good and bad. I mean, he created a memorable character that's a little bit on the annoying side, but really visionary in its way. But Obi-Wan Kenobi just has such gravitas. Like, when he first is rescuing uh, Luke from the Sand People, like, his his entrance, not when he's flailing his hands, but, like, when he lifts his hood and he starts talking, he's just... He's got this really shitty dialogue, but he's commanding it. He's yeah. doing such an amazing job with it. Our whole perspective of Jedi's being badass was sort of brought to us by Alec Guinness. And I certainly didn't mean to shit talk him. I just think it's interesting that you can be part of something that's so huge and, and sort of be resentful of it. This is classic form storytelling. It's very streamlined. There's not a lot of superfluous scenes. Like, every scene is pushing the story forward in a way that... You can't believe that George Lucas is behind the camera. <laughs> like, yeah, which is precisely why when he became George motherfucking Lucas, do you know, do what he wants to do, he threw back in the um, Jabba scene, which yeah. I think is, I mean, I keep coming back to it because it's so indicative of the incompetence of, I think, him as, I'm not really a director, I mean, I guess he put this together, but he's just incompetent as far as what it is that people liked about his movies. He just doesn't get it. Sometime in the early 90s when he was doing his documentary of the making of um, uh, Return of the Jedi, he said there's more to movies than special effects. You know, he said this 10 years before he starts remaking these things and just play back some of your footage because that was actually true what you said. I think George Lucas had this obsession with serialized things, you know, like this was a middle chapter. I don't believe for a second he had a, a master plan for this entire series, but the same thing with his Indiana Jones things. It's like every adventure we see is some weird middle chapter. He kind of has always liked that vibe. But what we have here is sort of a classic hero's journey. Luke Skywalker is a bumpkin kid on, on a desert planet who wants to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. <laughs> And uh, he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and finds out that he has a, a, a very impressive family bloodline and he gets sucked into this intergalactic intrigue full of all sorts of crazy characters. It's interesting, we're kind of levered into the world to the droids, which uh, even as a kid, I kind of felt a little bit talked down to and that the dro- I knew the droids were there for me. Um, uh, yeah, they were never my favorite characters. The action figures couldn't hold guns, so they sort of stayed in the toy box or you know would get killed pretty quickly. We are introduced to Darth Vader in this absolutely imprinted in my brain memorable scene where the stormtroopers clear a path from dead bodies so that this dark figure can loom through. And when I was a little kid, Darth Vader was a terrifying figure. And until those prequels came out, he kind of remained a terrifying figure. There is something undeniably goofy, edging on stupid, about the Star Wars universe. And there's... There's something interesting, like, everybody is so... Everyone has an opinion on it, and usually a fairly strong one, but, like, it's fascinating to me that, like, the cultural obsession with these movies is so strong. Like, what is it, do you think? Like, why? (laughs) Why, even though half of the series is terrible, are people going to just fall over themselves to throw more money at this universe? I mean, there was... There is something almost perfect about the the original Star Wars trilogy, but it, like it's hard to put my finger on what the perfection is because a lot of the elements, as I already mentioned, were just exceedingly brilliant, and a lot of them were kind of stupid, like the dialogue and Mark Hamill's acting, yeah. and even I didn't really catch this 
as much until I rewatched it recently. Uh, Princess Leia is sort of affecting a British accent for the first little bit. That kind of gets uh, abandoned. Yeah. yeah. And, and like that, there's something kind of cheap about that. But maybe, as you were saying about the hero's journey, like it's just such a perfect mythical story. Uh, and the world, it really feels like a world. Even though Lucas is strongly borrowing from other films, the scene where they're in the Millennium Falcon shooting at TIE fighters, uh, that, I mean, that shot is taken from some World War II Two bomber movies, movie. Yeah. Um, there's the shot with the panels where they're hiding in the floor of the Millennium Falcon that's taken from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. So he's borrowing a lot of shots and a lot of elements from other movies, but there's something so perfectly self-contained about this <clears throat> universe. Like, this universe is very, very internally consistent, and it's you're just in it. Like, you're never kicked out of the universe. As far as I can tell, there's nothing about the movie that kicks you out of the movie. We accept things in Star Wars just that are silly. Like we, we got into the whole thing about the droids, but, like, there's a planet that's all desert, and there's a planet that's all ice, and there's a planet that's all city, and there's a planet that's all ocean. It seems very sort of simplistic and broad, right? Yeah. And yet, Although you don't actually see that in the original Star Wars movie. Uh, you don't really see it until Hoth, where the one defining characteristic of the planet stands in for the entire planet. Dagobah's supposed to be all a swamp, right? Tatooine's supposed to be all a desert. Well, we don't know. Uh, when we first see Tatooine, we know that Luke is in a deserty part of Tatooine, but there's no mention that the entire planet is this. By uh, Empire, Dagobah becomes all swamp planet, Hoth becomes all ice planet, yeah. Endor will become, in the third one, all forest, forest planet. Exactly. That's what I mean. But you don't... You don't have that in the first one. But we all accept it. Like, it's totally, like, children's storytelling simple, but nobody has a problem with it. For some reason, in the original trilogy, the original trilogy, as the kids like to say these days, um, we, we accept all that, and it doesn't bother us. Like, there is silly stuff all over the place. I won't say that there isn't, but I love it. Whereas there's yeah. silly stuff all over the place in the, in the prequels, and it just drives me crazy. It's weird. But you, you don't think that, like, the cynicism of the prequels is palpable in a way that the what's the opposite of cynicism whatever that optimism? is, is what, well it's not quite optimism but there's a certain enthusiasm or a certain belief or passion for this project that just it somehow translates everybody that is participating in it even though i really don't think anybody has any idea what this is going to become i mean in an interview carrie fisher said when she went to the premiere, the lights went down, and she's like, oh, like, I'm sort of embarrassed that my family is here, whatever, but yeah. it's just going to be like a Buck Rogers movie. And, you know, the John Williams score comes up, and you see the Star Destroyer chasing the Corellian Corvette, and she said she had this moment finally seeing it where she's like, this might not suck. This right. There might be something brilliant about this. There was nothing brilliant about the prequels, right? There is no, there is no energy in it. There's no... I, I, I don't know. It's like the thing where it becomes greater than the sum of its parts somehow. Like imagine Star Wars without the genius that gave us the lightsaber noises. Or imagine Star Wars without Anthony Daniels happened 
happening to create C-3PO or without the person that is designing the Stormtroopers or Darth Vader happening to do that. Yeah. Uh, George Lucas says he did that stuff, but he did not do yeah. that stuff. It, it's just this weird confluence of, and, and it just is sort of perfect in its way. And, and with- whereas Star Wars, the, the first one, it's really, I mean, stuff happens, but it's not until, say, they leave Moss Eisley, which has got to be 40 minutes into it, that it really becomes an action movie. There's yeah. a lot of talking and a lot of exposition that happens on Tatooine. And uh, I think it, it, it guts points there because of the benefit of it being first. For most people, this was their first Star Wars movie, and it is the entry point to the world. So the Sam people are new, the Jawas are new, the whole world, the cantina is new, you know, lightsabers are new, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, we're getting spoon-fed a lot of needed exposition, but because we're sort of being immersed in this incredible world, it doesn't feel like homework, you know? It just feels like we're setting the table in a way that I appreciate. And in a way that, again, doesn't get repeated later on in, in George Lucas's work. I, I don't know, I keep on trying to get back to the plot. I don't know who would be listening to this who hasn't seen Star Wars or how it could be possible that you would be listening to this not seeing. But Luke Skywalker is taking a journey from young farmhand to uh, Jedi in training. And uh, we are led to a final confrontation between Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Darth Vader. And one of the most exhilarating action sequences that I remember from my childhood, uh, the trench battle sequence in X-Wing fight that leads to the final destruction of the Death Star spoilers. I, I knew that when we were doing the podcast for the prequels that there'd be no shortage of things to say. What, the, what gets tricky when I'm talking about the Ridge Tridge is just, it just becomes a love fest. I love the part where Luke's in the in the X-Wing, and I, I love the part where the Millennium Falcon swoops in and saves the day at the last second, and then Darth Vader gets spun out into space, and yeah, like, uh, really, this is one of the most discussed movies ever. What new can we possibly bring to the table reviewing Star Wars today? <laughs> I mean, probably nothing, right? <laughs> Things that I didn't notice that I really thought worked well with Star Wars, and I can kind of, kind of put myself in the head of somebody in the 70s, late 70s, seeing this for the first time, that things that, that have changed because we have these assumptions about it now, one of them is like for C-3PO and R2-D2, droids are really important and they kind of think that they're people, but they <laughs> really are not treated respectfully by human beings. Um, I mean, that part I really liked when nobody particularly seemed, like they were happy that R2-D2 got restored, but nobody seemed particularly bothered by the idea that he wouldn't. Uh, another thing that I didn't really notice until this time is kind of how little respect Darth Vader had. Like, he wasn't... He became this iconic uber-villain of the Empire, but I think he wasn't intended as that. So he walks into the meeting, and there's the guy that is in charge of the... Um, Death Star who gets force choked. Yeah. The reason he gets force choked is because, you know, your uh, ancient religion hasn't been able to conjure up the plans, blah, blah, blah. Like, this person thought he could talk shit to Darth Vader. Darth Vader turns out to be a total badass and force chokes him. But that goes some, like, that says something to how the world doesn't quite get how tough Darth Vader is. Like, he's just, like, this menace that people don't really know a lot about yeah. the first time I it, like it's impossible to imagine what it would be like to see him for the first time if you saw the movie not as a little kid walking <laughs> through that smoke and you can tell because he's all black and he's tall that he's tough 
but it's like everybody doesn't know how quite how tough he is. It's when like, Han Solo shoots his, sorry, I'm interrupting you, this is my last thing, uh, shoots his TIE fighter and he goes spinning off into space. If he was intended to be like, you take out Darth Vader, you take out the Empire, surely you could take 10 minutes just to chase down this TIE fighter and blow it up. Right. But he, he's not quite... Darth Vader in that way yet like there's which in some ways makes him more menacing to me because like nobody gets how tough he is until you see him and he's just this intense presence and you're like oh fuck I underestimated this guy in this world uh, there's like basically three Jedis left in the world we're sort of like a generation ahead there are people who have never met a Jedi but they should have heard of them they should believe that they were a real thing but uh, they were obviously eradicated by the Empire, or so people believe. So maybe he just didn't believe that the, the Darth Vader was uh, evil. But the fact that he wasn't scared of Darth Vader didn't stop me from being scared of Darth Vader, especially when I was a kid. <laughs> so I like some of the small details of the universe, too. I don't know how that that monster got into the garbage disposal system of the Death Star, <laughs> but I fucking love that it's there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? me too. And also, I love that the Death Star has garbage. Yeah, well, that was a detail that was considered. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people there. <laughs> and that presumably, you know, they're uh, knee-deep in liquid. Presumably, that species. Something awful. Itself, right? It's got to be something awful. The first thing awful. that Han Solo says is, what an incredible smell you've discovered, princess. <laughs> oh, yes, the Star Wars sexual innuendo game. Just take random <laughs> lines from Star Wars and yeah, re- recontextualize <laughs> I think that the movie still definitely works. I can report this because when I showed it to my son, I th- well, he's 11 now, I think he was 8 when we watched it, but when the scene happened and uh, the Millennium Falcon swooped in and knocked Darth Vader spinning out into space, and he sort of righted and flew away, my son said, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he was so furious that Darth Vader was still alive at the end of the movie. And I was like, no, there's still two more movies. Darth Vader's in the next movie. And, like, he just looked at me like I'd slapped him in the face, you know? Like, And uh, I love that the, the, those movies still have that power. And that was, again, the special edition, which had stuff that I wish I could unsee. And that I, I actually did explain to him that no... Han did shoot that guy first. Ignore what you saw, son. Yeah, son. It's important to know. You know, you're gonna be a man soon. What you gotta know is yeah, Han Solo shot. Sometimes first. movies lie to you. I mean, always movies lie to you. But in this case, this movie's doubly lying to you. But it's okay to shoot a bounty hunter under the table. It's it's still self defense. It doesn't make him a bad guy. But it still does light a fire in young kids, and even in its sort of, in my opinion, flawed special edition version is my point, that uh, being a child in the early 80s and being a child in the, you know, 2015, that the fact that the movie still resonates, I think not a lot of, even movies geared directly at kids, can you give that sort of praise to. You know, maybe with Wizard of Oz or, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know, like, what... Kids will always love Star Wars. Maybe... Well, and this is another thing that's hard to quantify, because if Star Wars didn't have the Star Wars machine behind it, keeping it perpetually relevant, like, imagine that these movies existed, what is it, 77, 82, and 84? Something like that. Something like that. Um, But if they didn't have the Timothy Zahn novels in the 90s and then these re-release with special editions and then the prequels, 
but if it was just those, would they still resonate? Like if you could show Owen Star Wars had, had were I mean he plays Star Wars Lego on, of on the Xbox or whatever. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for that, and I mean, this is obviously an impossible hypothetical question to answer. I still sort of think that it would resonate, that there's something special about this movie that not a lot of other movies capture. Well, that's what I'm In a lot say, of ways, yeah. um, like Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Same canon, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope? I don't know. I, I don't know if we've really reviewed the movie as much as we've just sort of vomited Star Wars nerdery all over the internet. Yeah. But that's kind of what um, I asked you to do, I guess. It's kind of... It's review proof in a lot of ways, right? Like, there are... There are all sorts of things about it that aren't very good. And yet it's yeah. a 10-star movie. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, I don't, know, I don't know what could be said about it. I, um, I, I enthusiastically endorse it, and I absolutely love it, and I watch it again and again, and will watch it again and again. And the reason I'm trying to sort of throw some hyperbole on this, Matt, is because of the amount of hate that I threw at Star Wars in the previous episode. <laughs> so, Wait, you threw hate on Star Wars in the previous episode? The previous episode was completely dedicated to the prequels. Oh, Star Wars, like... Yeah, concept, not yeah. Movie. so I spent two hours talking about those three prequel movies, and I, I'm sure I came off like a, a lunatic. <laughs> and I genuinely love Star Wars, and this episode is a big part of why. So I just wanted to make sure that that got said before we got off on another <laughs> tangent about, you know... What was what was uh, Chewbacca's son's name in the Christmas special again? Do you oh, why aren't we reviewing the Christmas special <laughs> Because uh, he, like, I Lumpy? can't get it. I don't like, have a copy of it. <laughs> True Star Wars nerds would know. If you're yeah. out there listening to this podcast and you're shouting out the answer right now, my fucking hat is off to you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think that's my favorite thing about the existence of YouTube is that the Star Wars Christmas special stopped being a mythological thing. And I like... You actually could see it. You actually see Chief Bast and <laughs> I, like the actors that were in Star Wars in the most ridiculous. I I think we should review the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> well, it's on my to do list. Is. It's on my to do list. What have we missed? I, I mean, I guess if you had to pick a favorite moment from Star Wars, what is it and why from this movie? My favorite scene is. The final assault on the Death Star, for sure. Right. I mean, that captured my imagination as a kid. Rewatching it, it was just so great. I I liked it so much. Um, I have no idea why, when I was a kid, and to this day, my favorite spaceships are Y wings, because Y wings are the redheaded stepchild of the Star <laughs> yeah. Wars universe. Something about them really captured my imagination. But all I did was get blown up. And I don't know if it was just if they were actually kamikaze pilots. <laughs> like... Well, there was actually kind of a kamikaze moment where somebody flew yep. into something to kill. What was it like a gun tower or something like? that one of the turbo lasers i think he was going down anyway but yeah uh i mean one of the things that star wars did so well that i appreciate is it's like each part of it is there's the tatooine part and it culminates in the bar scene and then the escape from tatooine and then there's the death star part and everything builds towards Ben Kenobi's sacrifice and the escape from the Death Star and then there's the fighter ship part at the end and like every like it's such a well wrought urn every one 
part of these things is a well-wrought urn, and then all together, it just works so well as a whole. Which is, I mean, going back to an earlier thing you said, what is it about this movie? Even with so many weak points, it just all works together so nicely. Like, it, it, it is just so perfectly self-contained. No matter what terrible shit I say about George Lucas, and I've said a lot of it, he will always have Star Wars. No one can ever take that from him, and no one should. I mean, like, you, uh, we, we talked about how he did, no one person makes a movie, but he wrote the screenplay, he directed it, he called the shots, uh, and... Uh, I'm, I'm a little less sure about that. Yeah? I think there were a lot of rewrites going on that it's I the think one some of the brilliance... That, it's the one thing George Lucas has that defends his unbelievably overrated sort of title of one of the greatest living filmmakers because as far as i'm concerned he's made six movies right and three of them were terrible two of them were okay and one of them's one of the greatest movies i've ever seen right which is why i'm very skeptical about like he was an ingenious editor and he was really driven and visionary in getting this done but i kind of think everybody involved in this was just brilliant in their own way and there was that um documentary about jordowski's jordowski's dune Dune, yes uh and i think uh, having seen that part of what i think makes star wars great is that there were all of these creative people that really wanted to make something great and hadn't that had that guy not pushed all of these great artists into doing stuff and creating all of these things, um, like there, there was just a lot of greatness circling around and a lot of it got swallowed up by Star Wars. So a lot of the designs George Lucas took because uh, the person doing storyboards for Dune just ended up sort of repurposing those for Star, Star Wars. Wars. Um, in There was one line that I, had, I hadn't noticed before, but Luke Skywalker said to Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, my father was like a spice pilot or something like that, or like he flew a spice freighter. Right. That is obviously a reference to Dune. Like you can tell that this other project had fallen apart, and so George Lucas was picking up the pieces, and he was brilliant in doing that. But there was just all of this brilliance already in the air that that he managed to to bring together. I think this is one of the movies, and one of the very few movies that will sort of always be there. You will always be able to, you know, watch and talk about Star Wars to whatever version of it you you have access to. I still hope that someday an unfettered print, you know, high def print of the un unspecial editions are made available because I do think those are the Star Wars movies that I fell in love with, and I think they should be for posterity, you know, preserved. Um, it's immortal, and uh, everybody loves it. And this is just sort of me adding my voice to the ocean of voices, saying that it's amazing. <laughs> That's where I wash up. Thanks so much, really. positive be said about the prequels? Um, 
parts of them are pretty. If you turn the sound the sound off, maybe, and you're listening to an album, you could say, you know, oh, look at all the pretty lights. That looks like a Star Wars video game that might be interesting or something. They look fake, <laughs> so that that detracts from the prettiness. I just, uh, uh, there are people who will defend the prequels, but I don't think I've found too many of them to talk about Star Wars, so, uh, I will, okay, here we go, here we go, I thought of something. Go. Uh, the, uh, amount of money and, uh, advertising, basically the advertising for the prequels has created a lot of interest in the original movies. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good thing. Thank you, Jeremy. I think Jeremy may have cracked the code. There's something positive to be said about the prequels. I was wondering if anybody would actually have a cogent answer. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> there, there are enough things about the prequels that make me sad that like, I would be alright if there weren't prequels. Um, there, aren't, there aren't enough things about them that make me unhappy that I'm like legitimately angry that they exist. Um, I was I was young enough to enjoy The Phantom Menace when it came out. Um, I was Star Wars struck enough to go see Episode Two like eight times, right. and then Episode Three was visually beautiful and otherwise disappointing. So I haven't gone back to it right. as much. Um, that's that's where I land on the prequels. It sounds to me like you're like most Star Wars fans that you just really want to be sitting here saying that there's a like a clean defense of the. the <laughs> it's like yeah, I liked it, but 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 yeah. but, but but the reservation machine, you know, kicks in. I've already cut together the prequel podcast, which is the like shrillest piece of nerd rage you're ever going to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish I could have been in on that in some ways, although I'm glad I didn't have to watch them again. <laughs> oh my god, I, I actually got angry watching The Phantom Menace with Paxton. I was like, it was bumming me out. It was bumming me out. <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing about that is the other two, which I hated less than The Phantom Menace when I watched them, but I only watched them each once, uh, and then I re-watched them years later, and like just every scene is so much worse than I remember. Now I think Phantom Menace is easily the best of them because at least it's the shortest. And yeah. Weirdly, it's the most concise. Like, it just, it's like a computer vomited all over the third one. Like, I just spent uh, the last uh, podcast basically saying two hours of my thesis is that the prequels are terrible and that The Phantom Menace was the worst of them. Because I don't think a movie can ever be as disappointing as The Phantom Menace was. Right? Yeah, so like contextually it was the worst because we had high hopes and then it got worse and then after that we totally recalibrated. Yeah. But like the second one is so bad and all of the love scenes are so bad. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> I actually sampled some dialogue in the previous episode <laughs> so we're all preaching to the choir here. Yeah. I was in a staunch place of denial after I first watched The Phantom Menace mm -hmm. after lining up and just being the anticipations leading up to it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was walking wounded for a while. For the first day, I was just sort of like, well, it's certainly not what I hoped it would be, mm -hmm. but, I, I mean, it's still a Star Wars movie. It's still good, right? Yeah. And about 24 hours later, because I was working at a movie theater, and I'm seeing people lining up around the block for it, and I'm selling these... <laughs> $15, <laughs> you know, magazines to celebrate the premiere of mm -hmm. The Phantom Menace. And I just had this click happen in my brain that this is terrible. This is terrible. This is like the biggest cinematic disappointment, I hope, of my life. <laughs> 
And I, I wish I could sugarcoat it more yeah. for you, Ashley. I mean, no. I mean, and maybe if again I was younger when I yeah. saw it, because I grew up watching the unfettered, unspecialized editions, mm -hmm. you know. And you know, Yoda looked like a puppet, and I was totally fine with that. Yeah. And aliens spoke their own languages, and I read subtitles, and I was fine with that, you know. And uh, the universe was—it had its goofiness, but it wasn't catering to the kids entirely, you know. There mm -hmm. was dark edges, like Han shooting first, yeah. you know, like characters' deaths having weight. Yeah, like they're not. I can't even really say they're not that bad because they kind of are that bad. Um, I watched The Phantom Menace a bazillion times because when I was living in Vancouver, I used to go to my friend's house and we'd play video games uh, on our laptops. And in the background, we just always have The Phantom Menace playing. So there's sort of a familiarity. Uh, also, when it was in theaters, I had a girlfriend that worked in the theater and she could just get me in for free. So I would see it. I don't know how many times. I saw it a ton of times in the theater, and I didn't really like it. I kind of liked the last lightsaber fight, which I thought was choreographed well, but now I actually think that might be one of the worst parts of the movie, um, just because of how emotionally flat it is. Um, Unlike I don't the know. rest of the movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I don't know. Can you say anything good about the prequels? Fuck, Mary kill in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> You can pick three characters from any of the movies. One of them you fuck, one of them you marry, one of them you kill. <laughs> Take your time. Okay. I know, I just fucking threw that on you. All right, I'm going to go for the answer that I'm sure everyone else chooses. All the boys will give anyway? Um, for a fuck. Um, I, I would fuck Max Rebo because I've got a thing for, for Blue. And just fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a thing for musicians. What can I say? Fair enough. Um, and I would definitely say I would have to kill Jar Jar. <laughs> That's everybody's answer. It's yeah. an obvious answer. And it's I'm not the right answer. It's not original for saying so. I would like to be an original person, but fuck Jar Jar. Hate him. <laughs> God damn it. Worst thing ever. And Mary. Hmm. Hmm. Well, um, I've always wanted to be in um, a polygamous relationship, so I think I would marry Jabba the Hutt. Nice. Yeah. Nice. See, I think I'd marry Yoda. Oh, really? I don't think that the, the relationship would be physical, like I don't think it could be. Yeah. But I think that... Like in every other aspect of our relationship, it could really work. <laughs> I'd like to think it would be an open relationship. Well, he, he does make good food, right? <laughs> Here we sit mm -hmm. in my creepy basement. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you, fuck, Mary kill in the Star Wars universe. Mm. <laughs> Everybody's playing this game. Okay. So. <laughs> well, I'll fuck Han, because he's Han, Han and cool and yeah. hot. Um, I'll marry Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, long time identification with and crush on Luke. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when when all my friends were into the the Backstreet Boys and the NSYNCs, I was I was looking at pictures of Luke Skywalker. Mark Hamill is dreamy, but uh, for me, and again, I, I don't have an eye for this, mm -hmm. but uh, he was completely uh, non sexualized because of. But I was gonna go to Tasha's <laughs> and pick up some power converters. Yeah, that was that was before. 
before he was like a character who'd leveled up at all. By the end of Return of the Jedi, <laughs> yeah, okay, pretty, right. pretty calm. Once he's in the tight black outfit, yeah. it's all good. <laughs> uh, so leaving the leaving for kill. Leaving for kill. Gonna go ahead and kill Lando because he was supposed to die at the end of Return of the Jedi anyway, but didn't, and, right. and it just feels wrong that he's still <laughs> around. <laughs> They couldn't do it, though. They couldn't... It, like, it was bad enough that they had one black character <laughs> yeah. in the trilogy and that he betrayed our heroes. Yeah. <laughs> but to then go the extra mile and kill him would just be like, okay, we know that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the, the politics of the time it would have been. <laughs> uh, okay, so there are two women that are alive and existing in the Star Wars universe. Correct. Um, so can I... Like, is it fuck, Mary kill with... Princess Leia from each of the movies? <laughs> no. Or? Well, I mean, I give you a lot of latitude here, Matthew. <laughs> so. Okay, well, uh, kill Princess Amidala. Okay. Uh, fuck gold bikini Leia, obviously. <laughs> but Hello. also kind of hoth Leia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I guess Mary Mon Mothma. Yeah, okay. Or maybe I would want to fuck when they added those new Greedo dancers to the redo of uh, Return of the Jedi, just to see what that would be like. It would either be like an awesome uh, erotic experience or it would be disgusting and slimy. But, you know, every woman that I've ever fucked in my life has been a human. So maybe it would be worth some sense. Strange barroom bragging rights. Okay, how many people have fucked an alien? (laughs) (laughs) And not just an alien, but like a Rodian. Yeah. All right, I like those answers. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Now, the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. continuing story of our band of heroes Luke Skywalker Princess Leia Han Solo C-3PO R2-D2 and Chewbacca and introducing Lando Calrissian it's an epic of romance of heroes and villains They cross trackless voids to unknown worlds. A galactic odyssey against oppression. sprawling space adventure in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. Alright, so here we are to discuss the obscure science fiction motion picture, Empire Strikes Back. Um, 
This is directed by Irvin Kirshner. George Lucas removed himself from the director's seat. Um, and I don't know, it shows some pretty... I think that, that's a smart move. Um, people would argue against that because people sort of bow at the altar of George Lucas, but I think that he does work better for me in a producer ca category, you know? Um, let somebody else do the work on set if you're not willing to, right? It's still your universe, it's still your story, you can still have your, your voice, but have somebody else say cut in action. <laughs> there is a very different tone in this movie, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a much darker story generally across the board than we got with Star Wars. And uh, as most people, and I think a lot of people uncontroversially will call this their favorite Star Wars movie, uh, it's also the Star Wars movie that doesn't leave you in a warm place. <laughs> Indeed. So um, it's weird that a movie that is so dark and so heavy in contrast to its original is so fully embraced. And also a movie that has such a dour ending is so widely considered the best of the series. Do you agree with those statements? <laughs> well, it's definitely... Uh, you can't say that this is even the same tone as the original Star Wars movie. Because there was a, a sort of a freeness uh, to Star Wars. A lightness, that you can say. But in this movie, it's just a series of Pyrrhic victories, to be honest. The... Alliance gets away from the Empire, but there's losses. Uh, Heavy losses, yeah. Mm -hmm. Han uh, is taken away by the bounty hunter at the end of this, uh, even though Luke is rescued. Yeah. So we're looking at almost a completely different tone for the movie. It's very grim, but it's a grim that I like. And uh, The first one, we have a classic hero's journey, right? Yes. It's sort of a yokel teenager finds out he's the one, for lack of a better term. Uh, he... And, uh, you know, he sets off on this adventure. And although we hadn't seen anything in that sort of landscape before, uh, that type of story was very familiar. What's interesting about M Empire is that it feels like strangely new territory. It's like, okay, now we've told the sort of standard hero's journey. Now we're someplace else. And I think it's that sort of feeling of being in no man's land that makes Empire kind of the wild card and kind of exciting. Well, even in the middle of it, of the show, they're, they're lost, basically. Uh, the the uh, main character is in training in a very strange world, and he's learning new things about himself, and his friends are locked in an asteroid, mm -hmm. uh, being hunted by Darth Vader. So, shall we talk about the plot? I or guess, we I was going to uh, say, <laughs> I, I can't imagine anybody listening doesn't know the Star Wars movies and the plots, but we'll just... Say it to say it. We catch up with the rebels. They're hiding on an obscure, frozen planet called Hoth. And uh, the opening sort of third or not even quarter of the movie sort of concerns the rebels not really escaping, buying some time so that as many rebels can escape as possible. It's one of the things about that battle I never really registered as a child, how, how totally fruitless that was for the Rebels. Yep. <laughs> they didn't have any chance of winning that fight. The idea was to hold the Empire off as long as possible to maximize the, or minimize, pardon me, the casualties. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, for a movie that it sort of felt like in the kids' genre, that was a little bit dark. It, yes. But uh, as once we escape from that, we have sort of a twin storyline that, yes, involves... Uh, Luke finding Yoda and receiving his Jedi training, and um, Han Solo and uh, Leia's uh, adventures inside the asteroid belt, and uh, meeting with the conniving 
Vlandalrissian in Cloud City. Um, yeah, it's actually not not the most straightforward of plots just to say in a sentence, is it? No, you can't boil it down in a, in a pitch sentence. It's impossible. Uh, too involved. But it manages to pull it off, uh, I think, in a way that, say, Matrix Reloaded doesn't handle its <laughs> convoluted think? plot. So let's get right to it here. Um, it's been 35 years since this movie came out. Um, it was the very first movie I saw in a theater. Oh, wow. I saw it with my Uncle Donnie in the North Battleford Theater in the, in the mall that was there. Uh, the toys from it were, they polluted my childhood, and <laughs> I've been playing video games and role-playing games and card games, any kind of games that you can imagine that have been the fruit of this particular movie. Uh, I've tripped... AT-AT walkers and five different video games now <laughs> that are the result of this. And um, this movie, in a lot of ways, defined what it is to be me yeah. um, more than any other movie I can think of. The plot even follows... Uh, I think my life is conformed to the plot of this movie and <laughs> that it's innovative and magical, but it involves running away from lots of things and it has a sad ending. <laughs> We don't know the ending yet. No spoilers for your, your life ending. <laughs> I know the ending. <laughs> well, here's the thing that I will say about Empire Strikes Back. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I, it's so comforting for me to be reviewing a Star Wars movie here and just have nothing but good things to say. <laughs> uh, but of course, the most famous scene. Spoilers, kids. <laughs> when Darth Vader reveals to Luke Skywalker that... I am your father. There is a YouTube video that you can watch. You can search it now of parents watching that scene with their kids and all of these little kids reacting and their minds just being utterly fucking blown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Is that, is that true? Is that possible? <laughs> just these wide-eyed, wondrous kids looking at their parents just incredulously like... Could this be possible? And that was the thing, Jeremy. That video was the thing that made me excited for the new Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, well, um, honestly, uh, going back for what made me excited about the new Star Wars was hearing Kevin Smith talk about his time on set. Right. And hearing him say that the creators wanted the new Star Wars to be a sequel to Empire. Yeah. Rather than... A sequel to all those fucking prequels, to be quite honest. The stormtroopers are actually guys in suits. They're not computer animated. Mm -hmm. Most of the creatures that we are going to see are actually practically made, just like in the Ridge Tridge. And, uh, yeah, that, but, anyway, I don't, I don't think, uh, going back to The Empire Strikes Back, I don't think I can really oversell the cinematic cultural impact of I Am Your Father. I mean, it, it happens in the middle chapter, but it is the moment in Star Wars, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I don't think that the original trilogy ever really tops that moment. But it's an epically awesome moment. Uh, commonly misquoted, of course, yes. is Luke, I am your father. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So a huge impact for both of us. Yeah. I'm guessing you as well. <laughs> um, it, I think Empire was also the... Um, it was the basis for lots of the expanded Star Wars universe stuff that we saw coming out in the 90s immediately before the uh, special, special edition. editions and the prequel and stuff, prequels and stuff. And this stuff 
in the 90s was very dark um, with lots of death and it was made to appeal to young adults basically and that's also stuff that appeals to me as well I, I like the Star Wars Expanded Universe even if it's kind of silly <laughs> well and I think that's maybe something we need to admit to ourselves Star Wars is kind of silly yes it's let's... okay everybody it's okay <laughs> but Star Wars is kind of silly embrace it it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's for kids. Um, but I think it's more for kids in the prequels than it is in Empire. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a discussion of its own right. Because uh, the story being told there is so unbelievably dark. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. You know, for kids. So the special effects, we've kind of touched on those. Mm -hmm. They're still pretty amazing 35 years later. Yeah. And as far as the special edition goes of Star Wars, I find that Empire is the least fucked with. That's true. They, they tweak the tauntauns so they look better. Mm -hmm. But And I guess they made the cockpits in the uh, speeders a little less translucent. Yeah. The matte lines are a little less defined than they were. But um, I don't know. In a way, it's sort of like when you're watching the old uh, stop-motion animation pictures and you can see the fingerprints on the clay models. Mm -hmm. For me, it kind of adds something to me that I know how, that it was handmade and how it was done. Well, but, um, the, the models themselves, they look like real things. They, they cast shadows. Yeah. And they're they present. Weight. Yes, they have weight. Um, so they look like real things. Um, the walkers themselves are, are rendered in stop motion, and they still look amazing today. There's so much love put into those, both in the design and in the execution of them, uh, to just make them look terrifying. Yeah. And I always, I really appreciate that we, the universe gets bigger. We keep on seeing more things. We see for Tauntauns, for instance. They don't stop and explain what Tauntauns were, whether they lived on the planet or they brought them with them or what these things... That's just a Tauntaun Han Solo's riding it. Yes. There's a worm that lives inside of an asteroid and it can swallow your ship without you even realizing it's done it. And if you stop to think about it for a few seconds, it's just completely, you know, dumb. But Well, yeah, they were hanging out in that worm for who knows long how time, long yeah. with no consequences. And then all of a sudden they're in a hurry to leave for some reason. But <laughs> it's one of those things where every corner there was like new things to be discovered. But whereas unlike the prequels where each one of those new things sort of took center stage and took a bow and then, and then ran and scampered off, uh, they were just there. They were just part of the world, you know. It's like constant innovation in this yeah. movie. Every corner of this film is in innovative. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that George Lucas neither wrote nor directed it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> he hired Lawrence Kasdan and another writer, Lee Brackett, to uh, do the screenplay. Uh, he sort of did out the story beats, but he hired actual writers to write the dialogue. And whoa, what a difference that makes. Lawrence Kasdan also wrote an obscure motion picture called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm, yes, <laughs> so which George Lucas pretty, took credit for yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, if you can get Kasdan to do a draft of your script, please, please do. I wish he'd have offered him a, a pass on the prequels. <laughs> but yep. woulda, coulda, shoulda. So, music as well. Now, John Williams, we all know, is probably the king of... Uh, score writing in that age and I think this is probably the period in his life that what he was the most uh, imaginative as well in his writing and he you know he gave us in the original Star Wars uh, da, 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 that's really really famous yeah. but in this one 
We get the Imperial March. Dun, 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 dun. We get Han and Leia's theme. Dun, 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 dun. We get Yoda's theme. Do, 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 do. And so many great themes coming out of this. And in a world this big and rich, I think musically he can afford to take the gloves off. You don't need to be subtle in this world at all. There's nothing subtle about it. So usually I find movies that are really operatic and large in that way kind of distracting, but with Star Wars it just works so it works perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. And not just in the, the leitmotif way that he uses his character themes and stuff like that, but also his orchestration is so imaginative in this. The asteroid fight uh, music that he uses there is basically just two chords over and over again. Uh, two chromatic chords alternating back and forth, and he uses this orchestra to just make each time it happens sound so different. Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing score. Amazing. There's not... I'm trying to think, like, is there anything critical I can say about Empire? <laughs> like, what doesn't work in this movie? I will... I'll tell you. Go. There's some romance issues. <laughs> <laughs> you don't buy the love triangle? <laughs> well, okay. Um, let's talk incest here. Okay, finally. <laughs> because <laughs> because it's kind of one of the bigger things in this, in this uh, series of movies. Either they didn't know that Leia was Luke's sister when they wrote this movie. Which is where I would put my money. Yes, or they did, and they were weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> because there's an incestuous kiss at the start of this movie. Yeah. Uh, anytime people try to make excuses for, you know, uh, dead ends of the screenplay or bad dialogue or, or find a way to defend Lucas... I, my knee-jerk is rea reaction is almost always that you're giving Lucas too much credit. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love the man for the world that he created, but I, I'm baffled by some of the decisions he makes once he's in the, in the director's seat, you mm -hmm. know? Well, who knows if he was responsible for saying uh, Leia is Luke's sister. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. But I get the feeling like some of the best scenes, like, well, like, for instance, in the special editions, uh, I'm sorry to go to Star Wars, but the whole Han not shooting first. Yes. Uh, it's like, I'm amazed that when they didn't do the special editions for Empire Strikes Back, he didn't change the line where Leia says, I love you, and then and Han says, I love you too. And, you know, let's get rid of the cool, <laughs> that really cool badass line where he says, I know, because... Lucas doesn't find it narratively clear enough, so they'll just sort of wedge those words. Any way we can make Han Solo less cool, but in the special editions, basically. Mm. Well, I, I really love the... <laughs> this is total, totally unrelated, but I, I love the um, Family Guy version of this, where Peter, instead of saying, I know, says, Fuck you! Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> So another romance issue, now that we're on the topic of Han Solo here. We all know Han is a very cool character. Even though everything. he's kind of a scruffy-looking nerf herder. He's a scruffy-looking nerf herder and a laser brain. Yeah. And uh, the, what I want to say here is I'm all for seduction and everything. <laughs> but to be quite honest, to those moments where Leia says stuff like, No, 
get off of me, don't touch me, and Han doesn't. <laughs> um, I don't know if, you know, history at this point is, we can look back on that kindly. It seems a little rapey, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> and just generally the way Han really refers to her as a princess, it sort of seems like the condescending way you'd call a little girl princess, and not the fact that she's literally a princess. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm not the sort of person, necessarily, who thinks that what happens in this movie is wrong, but I can see how somebody of a politically correct mindset might be turned off by that sort of thing. So yeah. that's uh, my complaints with the movie, basically, is the romances. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think that we, we were looking really hard to find something negative to say. It's a fine B-roll thing, and I don't think we we'll, <laughs> we use the term rapey. I mean, like... <laughs> I think that at the time it was made, it was meant to be charming. And now, through the sort of lens of, you know, modern perspective, maybe seems like he's you know, a little aggressive. But mm -hmm. she's into it, clearly. So. Yes. Because yes means no. <laughs> maybe we'll have to edit out this section. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to say about... Empire Strikes Back. Well, let's talk about the special editions, <laughs> okay. because we need to warn people about these things as much <laughs> as possible. Um, yeah, they do some good fixing up some of the special effects uh, for, for the special edition, but basically a lot of the things they add to this movie are completely useless, and like, why? Yeah. And the one I'm thinking of here is the scene where Darth Vader says take me to my ship or something like that and then he we see him flying to his flagship at the end and then when he lands on his ship it looks remarkably like the second death star <laughs> and look there's moff jergerod standing there waiting for him uh, that's really weird oh wait no it was just cut from return of the jedi yes lame <laughs> uh there's another earlier version of the special edition that I saw that's different from mine as well, where when Luke is falling, they add this, <laughs> the Emperor screaming it from Jedi as he's falling down. Why? Yeah, this is the other thing. Like, uh, there was the special edition that came out, and then, of course, when it was released on Blu-ray, apparently a bunch of more tweaks were put in. It's mm -hmm. like Lucas refused to learn the lesson that, that Spielberg did. Spielberg famously sort of rolled up his sleeves and tried to tinker with two of his old masterpieces, uh, Close Encounters and E.T., and both times he came out of it regretting even trying, you know? Hmm. Just, you know, the movie was made at that time, those were the choices that I made, and I think in the end of the day, we gotta live with it. George Lucas cannot live with it you know and mm -hmm. uh it, it, almost all of the changes made in the special edition are either distracting or clumsy um the rest of the movie is still so good that it works in spite of all of these distracting elements in the special edition but as i will you'll hear me say throughout this podcast if you can watch the unfettered original theatrical edition of these movies it's the way to watch them indeed um one last thing I want to say is that I'm very, very excited for the new Star Wars movie that will be coming out. Mm -hmm. Despite my disappointment that I experienced in the 90s uh, with the first three, I've made, I'm making it a personal project to be excited about these things again <laughs> and to get hyped and pumped about them, even though they, it cast such a shadow over my life for the 2000s. <laughs> 
And um, Star honestly, Wars will hopefully be great again. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was its empire really that made the Star Wars universe what it was before. It was Star Wars, and then Empire made it yeah. great. I mean, Star Wars was going to have cultural impact no matter what. But if they'd have blown it, like blown the sequel, I don't think Star Wars would be the entity that it is today. I think Empire actually kicked it up a notch, and I think we can hate. We can sort of thank Irvin Kershner, director of RoboCop Two. <laughs> I am a huge fan, needless to say, of Empire Strikes Back. George Lucas, mad genius or mad genius? No, I think he got lucky. Um, I mean, going over the original Star Wars movies, there was so much about it that wasn't in his control, and it was because it was such a low-budget movie that he had to capitulate a lot. So, um, I mean, when Anthony Daniels creates the C-3PO character, when they can't quite cast Han Solo, so they go with this contractor that had a small part in American Graffiti, um, the guy that did the sound effects, um, the people that were doing the models, the person that was storyboarding it and creating the entire aesthetic, that was all not George Lucas. So the thing that we can really give him credit for is pushing a project that nobody really cared much about or nobody wanted to see done and he was I think a small enough name like he was a big enough name director because of graffiti that he had a little bit of push and sort of the new Hollywood was happening and these youngish directors were the studio execs were like okay maybe these new Coppola Lucas types know something we don't so he had enough push to get that done but he had not enough that he couldn't like he, he he didn't have the kind of leverage where he could micromanage every decision um he apparently is responsible for editing uh hours and hours and hours and hours of shit together into a masterpiece um like everything was kind of the shots weren't all that great um and he had to like sort of take the very best but the whole aesthetic um, like the stormtrooper helmets, or like just the way the spaceships look—that wasn't him. He couldn't. He, he didn't, didn't have, have much that set. many irons in the fire to control every aspect of it. Mad genius. You think? Yeah, I, th- I think the mad is coming to outweigh the genius, but I think the genius is definitely there. I'm like, like I want to say, I want to say genius, but like, and I'm completely forever grateful. Mm-hmm. For him creating Star Wars, for directing the first Star Wars movie, and basically setting the table for all of these great Star Wars adventures that we're hopefully going to go on enjoying. But at the same breath, I can't help but feel that the farther away he removes himself from the Star Wars universe, the better it is for Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for that to be a true statement, I kind of lean towards mad. <laughs> <laughs> It's fair enough. I guess I'm I'm thinking of like his early filmography outside of Star Wars. Like mm-hmm. THX is really 
difficult piece of art, but like after a couple of viewings, I think it's really well done. It's I a think very it's strong very first film, strong. absolutely. Um, I couldn't really graffiti. get into American graffiti. I have to give it another try sometime. It's nostalgia for a generation we weren't a part of, mm -hmm. but I would say it's got a good cast, but it's not particularly, I guess, impressively directed necessarily. It's efficiently directed. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have Star Wars. And then we have Star Wars. And then we have nothing. Well, we, we have like half, of, maybe a quarter of Indiana Jones. Well, he's producing a lot. He produces a lot of movies. He does yeah. story and production. But as a filmmaker, he does nothing for mm -hmm. about 22 years. Yeah. And then we have the three prequels. Yeah, I, I've said it before, but I do think as a filmmaker, he is very, very overrated. I think as a creative person and as an imaginer of worlds mm -hmm. and if you know you want to come up with some concepts or some you know alien designs absolutely but I would not hire George Lucas to write a screenplay and if he is this dead set against working with actors and he's much more interested in the special effects maybe having someone else in the director's chair yeah. will help yeah I I think so I think I think he's not a, a director I think I think where the prequels really went wrong is or like had the most problems is there was no one with enough power to tell George Lucas no mm -hmm. at any point. And I think I think working without constraints was not good for him. I think the adversity that he was suffering so loudly <laughs> through the first movie really helped him yeah. in a way. There is a case to be made that the original Star Wars is a movie that was saved in editing, you know. <laughs> Uh, before you had James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader, it was a different movie. Yeah. It was a different movie. And I can see, you know, the British crew who were working on it, who were apparently kind of snarky the whole time, mm -hmm. looking at that script and looking at this kind of snotty, pretentious film school kid, yeah. thinking, this is a paycheck for me. We don't care about this. And yet what they created. Immeasurable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, he's got imagination. Needs to be reined in. That's the only thing. In the in Star Wars, it was reined in by his budget, and in Empire, it was reined in by other people who took his project away from him. And in the third uh, Jedi, he also had some reining in there as well. But when we see what happens when money is dumped at him and he has no limits. And that's why we were so excited about the prequels when they were happening, right? Because this is George Lucas with all of the toys in the toy box. No, basically limitless budget. He can tell the story he wants to tell, how he wants to tell it with this cutting edge technology. Like, it should have been amazing. And it really, really wasn't. So, if I'm answering the question, I lean more towards mad than I do mad genius. But I can't dismiss the fact that, like, he created the Star Wars universe. And uh, for that, I'm eternally grateful. But the I thing think is, that he might actually be a little bit crazy. <laughs> it, it wasn't just Lucas, though. No. It was Lucas who came up with some of the ideas, but he was not the only idea man involved in all and, of this. Returning to your original question, my mad answer genius. is mad genius. Yeah. I, I, I think most people are probably going to side with you on that one. Where do we land on the special editions of Star Wars? 
I now exclusively Especially. watch the unaugmenting yeah. version um, nice. after after the special edition came back. And the special edition doesn't bother me the way it would have if I had known Star Wars previously. So again, soft spot for like the the weird extra Jabba scenes and the weird like CG that doesn't quite fit in because that was my introduction and so I will forgive it all of those faults because it led me to the story and to the characters and to this And for world. you that was just the movie you watched. And for me that was just the movie I watched. Um, you know, then at the time like I could still borrow from the library the pre-special edition versions so I kind of absorbed them both at the same time. Right. Um, yeah, so so I don't I don't have the hate on them for the special edition. I understand why it exists, yeah. but I can't get there. Again, for the most part, if for the augmenting of the special effects or filling in some of the stuff in the backgrounds doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Han suddenly not shooting first <laughs> yeah. really bothers me because yeah. I think you're depriving one of the coolest characters of their edge when you do that. Yeah. I think that part of the reasons people love Han is that he was willing to do that mm -hmm. and that, you know, it was, a, yeah. it was the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the thing that does bother me, uh, on the DVD release, they replaced Sebastian Shaw at the end of Return of the Jedi with Hayden Christensen. Indeed. And that's the one that makes me angry. Yeah. Because it reminds me that the prequels exist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I mean, the, the lesson to be taken is CG can be really, really good um, but only really if it's invisible. So it's good for crowd scenes, it's good for some of the background stuff, but as soon as it calls attention to itself, it becomes, I mean, it's obnoxious. When they're, they're going through Moss Eisley and there are these big stupid monsters that are literally walking in front of the camera, you just yeah. want to be shouting, like, down in front, George Lucas. <laughs> uh, like, it's, it is so insistent and annoying, and it's like, we get it. You can render monsters sort of with CG. Um, monsters, by the way, that looked uh, much worse than, say, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, even though this came out about 10 years later than Jurassic Park, Absolutely. because those were mostly um, animatronic and mostly practical. Like, you can really see the difference between the models and the shit that's being drawn in. Why do we need another song in the Jabba's Palace at the beginning of Return of the Jedi? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. We don't need it. It just—it's it, completely superfluous. It's completely stupid, and almost, almost all of the time, especially when he adds like creatures into the frame or anything like that, he's actually subtracting from the movie. Like I said, I'm less bothered by augmenting some of the old traditional backgrounds and and like uh, blue screen matte lines and sort of cleaning up some of that. It doesn't bother me as much. But truth be told, it didn't bother me when they were there. <laughs> I watched. Star Wars a thousand times before I was 13 years old, I'm sure, and uh, it was perfect to me. I believed it utterly, and yeah. uh, I just, just don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is my sort of, where I wash on it. And I really, really, really wish that I could watch an original, unfettered version of the original Star Wars trilogy. It's just hard to get your hands to right now. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that will change now that Disney has the, <laughs> has the property, but... Um, for me, I just think, generally speaking, going back to tinker with your work, the longer you wait to go back and re-edit, the worse an idea it seems to be to me. Um, the special effects that they added to it looked really cool when they did, but already actually looked dated. Yes. So, I don't know. I don't know that they accomplished anything but making money, which, to be fair, is what they set out to do with the special editions. Okay, my answer is they're a mixed bag. Yeah. 
you will get some improvements to the special effects that do actually oh. help quite a bit. And I'm thinking of the Tauntauns here. I'm thinking about... The hot battle, generally. Mm, the, uh, in Star Wars, for instance, the uh, fight scene on the Death Star uh, seems a little bit more action-packed in the special edition. Right. Where they flop on their face is additional scenes added... I'm thinking of Darth Vader going back to his flagship. Yeah. I'm thinking Han Solo meeting Jabba the Hutt for the first time. Terrible. Um, and then, of course, the much reviled Greedo shooting. Yeah. Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. The battle for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero. The courage of a rebel. The strength of a leader. The loyalty of comrades. The power of the force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. Is Darth Vader my father? A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes, villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. It's a trap! The quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi. Begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy. Okay, and so it was, we came to Return of the Jedi. Um, well, the very dramatic and exciting conclusion of the Ridge Tridge, as I will always <laughs> call it. Um, it opens with the rescue of Han Solo, and uh, it reminds me of... George Lucas is obviously obsessed with the whole idea of old serials. Like, when he started Star Wars, it was episode four, mm -hmm. and uh, he would like you to believe that he had a mapped out one, two, and three, but I think it was more the idea that, he liked the idea that we're just dropping yeah. in the middle of this adventure. Same thing with Indiana Jones. Basically, every chapter of Indiana Jones is just part of the continuing adventures of Indiana mm -hmm. Jones. We're just, a, we just get this one little middle chapter. And in a way, the adventure in Jabba's palace and the rescue of Han Solo could have been a chapter in of itself. Absolutely. Um, Jedi is two movies back to back. <laughs> two pretty, pretty exciting ones, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the first act is the, you know, we rescue Han Solo. The second act is uh, squaring off against the uh, Galactic Empire, Empire one last time. And uh, the, the hopeful destruction of the new, newly rebuilt Death Star. The introduction of some Ewoks and a mm -hmm. final confrontation between Vader, Luke Skywalker, and the Emperor, Ashley Pachkowski. Yes. 
I say with some level of knowledge of what you're going to say, <laughs> but what did you think of Return of the Jedi? I love Return of the Jedi. <laughs> it, All right, review over. Uh, quick. Yeah. Quick. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, and and this is this is this is a deep childhood love that doesn't quite know what else, like what to say. I love um, it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it to pieces. The the Jabba's palace sequences are so filled out, and the I think in in Jedi the the wider world outside of the rebellion and outside of the Empire is like more real. Than it's ever been before. Um, I was I was rewatching it recently in preparation for this review, and like the rancor gets killed, and its owner rushes in and like weeps yeah. openly. I'm like, what a there's, great detail. there's a story there. What great. <laughs> yeah, and those those kind of details, and again, I'm not going to go back there a lot, but that are lacking in in the uh, in the, the mm-hmm. prequel trilogy. You're right. The whole world of Jabba's palace, and even though we'd seen Tatooine before and we'd seen lots of mention of Jabba, we finally get introduced to this great, awful, wormy puppet. And it is a puppet operated by, I think, three or four different people to make it work. And uh, And he's so big, and he's so gross, and he's so real. I love him as an emblem of power in that, like... He is. Spoilers. And if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Return of the Jedi, shame the fuck on me. <laughs> but, yeah, he is somebody who was defeated by Princess Leia being strangled. Like, he's not physically a very powerful mm-hmm. or quick-moving or imposing threat. But I like that as a symbol of power. Is that, like, Jabba is so fat that he basically sits on this big hovering <laughs> table and he barks orders at people. Yeah. and. He's not physically threatening because he doesn't have to be. He's just a bad, powerful dude, yeah, right? Yeah, and he is a bad, powerful dude. Leia <laughs> walks in there and goes, "Want goes? I want fifty thousand credits for this Wookie." He's like, <laughs> "Or I'll blow you all up." He's like, 35. <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, that is a mob boss." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he likes the cut of his jib that he came in with that much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you're gonna blow me up unless I give you a reasonable price, huh? <laughs> I like I like how you do business. Yeah. Um, from the small details, I've always loved the design of those Gamorrean guards. They call mm-hmm. them those weird sort of pig boar creatures. Um, the fact that his palace is set upon a, a trap door that anybody doesn't like, he can just drop down to feed to the Rancor. It's this wonderful balance of what's at once ridiculous and wonderful about Star Wars. We just accept it because what choice do we have? But if you think <laughs> about it like rationally mm-hmm. for a minute, the whole thing is very silly and starts falling apart. But it's so much fun that you don't think don't about think that. Don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing. I think maybe that might be the charge of a Star Wars movie. you got to keep things rolling and keep things fun enough that we don't start thinking about the mm-hmm. corners because it's like you start peeling any one layer and yeah. stuff can and start to put enough stuff in the corners that we're like distracted by that stuff in the corners that we're supposed to look at and we can yeah. make up our story about why the guard is crying about his dead rancor yeah. so and also it, it's a great thing the whole it's called return of the jedi it was just, they were almost going to call it revenge of the they jedi were. for the longest time but return is a better title but it's great because of how much power the, the name Jedi carries and the fact that when Luke Skywalker comes in and says that he's a powerful Jedi and that he wants to make a deal, but if he can't, he'll kill everyone. That's something that should be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, it's ridiculous, but I completely accepted it and, and, and I'm yeah. into it. 
Um, yeah, well, I should ask you about this. You, you're one of two ladies that we got to nerd out with the Star Wars. You and Dorian yeah. were, were here to speak about it. Um, Leia, as a the kind of female figure as in the, the Star Wars. As the only girl in the universe? <sighs> oh, that's right. And she gets to be a princess as well. And she is rescued. Like, she still fulfills all of these sort of typical roles. Mm -hmm. But she is also a very respected sort of female figure. Yeah. And where do you land on it? Because I think Leia is very strong in the Return of the Jedi movie. But she's also in a slave outfit. <laughs> right? So yeah. you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, and, and you have to. But... The, it never the slave outfit thing never bothered me. It makes sense. Jabba has captured this person, pissed him off. But you know what? She's a hot chick, and I just fed my last hot chick to the monster. So, yeah. you know, break what? out of something skimpy and put yeah. her on the end of my chair. It's but if your if your choice is you know to to dance in a in a brass bra or be fed to a la a, a monster. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Get out the anvil and size that. Yeah, I guess. Whatever works. Whatever works. <laughs> I, I, I do think that she is kind of badass. She comes in, you know, dressed mm -hmm. as a bounty hunter and, you know. Yeah, uh, and she bluffs up a better price for, like, no reason. And she, she kills is, Jabba herself. She's it's... directly involved. Like, you can say it's because it was to rescue her man. But, like, she, you know, she was, she kicked ass as yeah. much as anybody in that sequence, for sure. Um, and uh, later on, she gets a little bit sidelined when she, once she's sort of used as a story lever to introduce us to the world of the Ewoks. Mm -hmm. But uh, I like Leia, and I especially like her in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think she's bought enough cred throughout the first two movies, and rescuing Han is entirely in character. Yeah. Um, I think I think she'd have gone out of her way to rescue luke or like any of her other rebel friends i don't think it's just because han's her guy yeah. um you know she she holds her own in the battle of endor she yeah she gets dragged into the ewok thing before everybody else but yeah. it's fun and we needed to get her and the guys in the same place somehow yeah. it's, it's i'll take it, I'll take it. We, we like Leia. we like Leia. We <laughs> Um, I got a, I guess a few things I will say about towards the end of the Jabba sequence and the infamous Sarlacc pit. Yes. Which I was always like, I had a board game when I was a kid based around the Sarlacc pit. You rolled the dice wrong, you fell into the Sarlacc pit. It was <laughs> awesome. a bad deal. Um, I really hate the special edition version of the Star Sarlacc mm -hmm. pit where it's got this weird beaky thing yeah. uh, sticking out of it. There's this weird crazy toothy hole in the middle of the desert that they use to dispose mm -hmm. of people, right? That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so the special edition thing really bothers me of that. Um, the, the other thing, but I can't even say it's about the special edition, is that Boba Fett has to have one of the most anticlimactic deaths right. for any character in any franchise ever. For all of the love of Boba Fett and yeah. the fact that he had so much love despite so few things to say in Empire Strikes Back that they built an entire movie around him basically in the, in the prequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. The fact that he dies such a clumsy, accidental punchline, circus performer yeah. death, kind of disappointing. Kind of disappointing. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I I enjoyed the the there's a, a a tale from Jabba's palace story in which Boba Fett, you know, yeah, he has this clumsy fall in, but then he escapes the Sarlacc and goes on to keep having awesome adventures in space, and and that's the head canon that I've accepted. Yeah. 
Yeah, Boba Fett lives. Boba Fett lives. Boba Fett lives. Um, but it, it is interesting that even as a kid, and I was disappointed to see that character fall, it mm-hmm. wasn't like, there was no real nerd rage about it. I accepted it. Yeah. That's not how I was going to expect if Boba <laughs> Fett was going to get killed in Jedi that that was going to happen. But yeah. uh, there it was. Uh, I guess points for that even. Like, we, I could not have predicted it. No, no, did not see that coming. <laughs> All right, so Jabba's blown up, and then we move into the, sort of the second chapter. Uh, second chapter, Luke heads off to Dagobah, gets Yoda to confirm that Darth Vader's his father. Yoda passes away in a scene that made me so sad when okay. I was a kid. It was Yoda. Full disclosure, the death of Yoda in Empire Strikes Back may be the first time I cried in a movie. <laughs> That's that's. I legit. mean, not to, other than just being traumatized by yeah. something, but like emotionally but like reacted. Emotionally reacted, yeah. And it was a puppet, you guys. It was a wonderfully voiced puppet yeah. by Frank Oz, and uh, but it was molded rubber made by artists and over like servos controlled by six people under the floor, and, yeah. and it's beautiful. I my mom's a big Yoda fan. She named one of her cars Yoda. And uh, one Christmas, I bought her a plastic Yoda puppet. Just one piece of sort of molded plastic with some, like, white hairs plucked into yeah. it, right? And I looked it up a couple of years ago online, because she still has it. It sits mm-hmm. on top of her bureau. It's outside of the package. If it was in the package, you get 350 bucks for it. But as it right. sits out there, dusty and free form, mm-hmm. 75 bucks, no problem. <laughs> wow. Still not bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I loved Yoda, and it hurt to see him go, and it's, uh, I, again, I think uh, as close as the Star Wars universe gets to profound, that even the most powerful Jedi in the world will eventually succumb to old age. Mm-hmm. You can't beat the the Grim Reaper, nope, you know? Nope. Everybody takes their turn. It's not that strong with the Force, <laughs> so. Um, so, they sort of fast forward over the rest of Luke's training. Um mm-hmm. In a way, this retrofit may work in that the lightsaber battle that we're treated to at the end of this movie, though impressive for its time, mm-hmm. comparatively, and especially compared to <laughs> the, the prequels, yeah. not a very elaborate, flying through the air, crazy, blurry, you know, yeah. <laughs> lightsaber duel. Um, but it kind of makes sense. He's a new to a Jedi. Yeah. And, uh, it's a, a half-drained Jedi against a half-robot Sith. Yeah, there. who doesn't really want to kill him, right? Yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about Anakin, and as much as I really despised Anakin in the prequel trilogies, uh, I don't. I, I buy that he doesn't want to kill his son, mm-hmm. and even with the trilogies existing as canon, and God, it's like bile in my mouth to say, <laughs> it. Uh, you know, like they failed to make him a tragic figure yeah. for me. When when he gets chopped into pieces by Obi Wan at the end of the, the prequels, I'm like. Yay! And that's not what yeah. I should be feeling. My, my only problem with him getting chopped into bits at the end of the prequel and left for dead by Obi-Wan is, why didn't Obi-Wan just, like, full kill him? Because that would have been <laughs> the kinder, better idea. <laughs> but, yeah. But, the prequels, again, whole other conversation. Yeah. But in a way, my, my saying of this weird retrofit, it, it sort of justifies that the scale of lightsaber battle isn't as big. Mm-hmm. But the emotional weight to it... Top of the charts. Yeah. It's, and that's why it's a better fight than any of the fights in the prequels. It's because my we favorite, care. It's my favorite scene in the entire trilogy. Yeah. The, the Luke, Vader, Palpatine Stand segments off. at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It also sells to me because even as a kid I thought that 
Palpatine was a bit of a used car salesman. <laughs> like, his way to trick Luke into the dark side seems very ham-fisted, right? Yeah. Rewind, you know, 30 years when he was doing the same sales pitch on Anakin. Anakin was a moron. Anakin <laughs> fell for it right away. And once he committed, he was all, all in. Yeah. He will kill kid Jedis for you at the snap of your fingers, right? So... That's what he, he went into this not thinking this was going to be a thing at all. His yeah. dad was an idiot. This guy didn't even know his ass from a hole in the ground, <laughs> so no problem. Yes, but good, good. <laughs> Let your hate make you more powerful. Dial it back, Emperor. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I know you're acting through a lot of makeup, Ian, but it's okay. <laughs> How's your nerd knowledge about Star Wars? Oh rusty okay but good well, would it surprise you to know if i told you the original design uh and even going into pre-production of return of the jedi was that the ewok planet was going to be a wookie planet i did know that um and structurally and story-wise that makes a lot more sense. so much more sense that the empire would be overturned by these huge powerful yeah. bigfoot creatures i've always them. thought of chewie yeah. as bigfoot for yeah. some reason because <laughs> chewie is bigfoot. yeah um so i mean i get that the cute little teddy bear ewoks are going to be great for the kids and you can build a cartoon around it mm -hmm. and you can sell flush toys and everything like that but as a story beat it is i think kind of a misstep and uh but the little kid who watched Return of the Jedi didn't have this mm -hmm. problem. This is a problem that I kind of grew Developed, into. Developed, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when you start talking about, well, they were going to do this, but they didn't, and it would have been better, you know, it's fan fiction, you know. Mm -hmm. This is the movie we have, and I'm willing to live with the Ewoks, <laughs> even with their, you know, unblinking glassy eyes or whatever. <laughs> um, it's just interesting. The celebratory victory celebrations happening at the end of the mm -hmm. movie, Death Star has been destroyed. You know, the Empire is gone, and the Ewoks are having a party. Yeah. You do know they're feasting on stormtroopers at that party, right? Oh my god! What did they do with the rebels they when they first They tried to eat they them. They tried to eat them. And they banded with these rebels and joined up to help defeat this foe. And what are we doing now here is probably your typical tribal victory celebration. <sighs> so... I think that when you're cuddling up to that campfire with the Ewoks, you'd probably be honor-bound to join in on this victory <laughs> celebration meal and eat some stormtroopers. So, <laughs> just, to, just to color your yeah. perspective on the end of Jedi a little bit more. It's oh, still that's awesome. <laughs> Not a detail included in Never the movie. Never thought about like all of those spare Imperial helmets around the Ewok. <laughs> They're playing village. drums with that's the skulls, <laughs> yeah, like the helmets. I'm so Fascinating. Happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> They're eating stormtroopers for supper. That, that takes the whole that whole victory celebration has a different angle on it now. And now I'm okay with it being e Ewoks because if it was Wookies, that's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Ewoks, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another little nerd thing, it's a weird thing to mention, but I am going to, because I remember being, I think, in grade five, and, uh, an older kid pointed out that there's a boob grab. There, Leia yeah. gets her boob grab by Han, and <laughs> this is a, this was, and like, a young boy fascination, and yeah. it's like, that happened? And, like, it was in the movie, that happened. Was it in the script? Was he supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> this little... Prepubescent obsession before yeah. I even give a shit about like 
Carrie Fisher in the bikini or anything like that. The fact that there was a boob grab in Star Wars was a big deal. <laughs> this is like... And people have gone over every frame of this, you know? Mm-hmm. In the original Star Wars, of course, there's a, the stormtrooper that clonks yeah. his head, and uh, that got incorporated into a gag in the, in, the, in the prequels. So many little nerd wormholes that we can fall into. Yeah. Gosh, I've seen the boob grab, and I've never... I've always read it as he was reaching for her shoulder, totally didn't quite accidental. get it, and then like, totally accidental. just kept acting. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a little, like, you can see Carrie Fisher kind of look at, whoops, yeah. <laughs> but, but keep going. Let's just like, keep not going. the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Wait till cut. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, sure, it's kind of silly that these teddy bears who are throwing rocks and flying and <laughs> through the trees and swinging and screaming Tarzan yells can defeat the Empire. That is kind of silly. Mm. But once again, in spite of this, I ask no questions while I'm watching the movie. <laughs> um, so, they built the climaxes of these three movies. Uh, you know, the first movie, there is one big mm-hmm. space fight. And then in, in Empire, it's sort of split between, you know, Luke squaring off with Vader for the first time in the eye, and we all follow the sequence, and the exodus from Cloud City. Yeah. And then for Return of the Jedi, we go three places. Yeah. We got the space fight being led by Lando in the uh, Millennium Falcon. Yeah, we got uh, Han and Leia and the Ewoks on the ground. On the ground. And we've got the sword fight and the confrontation on the... And uh, I think from the scale of venture, the fact that we're balancing these three sort of different, fairly spectacular acts... Mm-hmm. The balls in the air are balanced quite well. Like, yeah. uh, I, part of the problem of the original trilogy, *Phantom Menace*, is that he tried to do a fourth one in that. Uh, we talked about that in the previous episode, and it got muddied. Mm-hmm. I think that this was the sort of the sweet spot. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not going to go with your traditional adventure story where it's just the one, the, you're right. The balance of all three of them work, and the stakes are the highest in the mm-hmm. Emperor and the Darth Vader thing, which is why it's the last thing to resolve. Yeah. But well done. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and they they bounce like nice. But the timing between them is like well done. You you don't feel like you're getting pulled away from any of them too quickly. You're clear on where you are in each confrontation at all times. It's it's a really well edited sequence. And I'm gonna reiterate that this was all made in a world where we didn't use computer generated effects. I would invite everyone to take a good hard look at that space fight and think, what are we gaining with CGI and what are we losing? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we're gaining a thing with CGI. Like, I think the answer may be the middle ground. I've talked about this in horror movies because Mm -hmm. there's there's the camp that says prosthetic, prosthetic, and there's the camp that says CG. It's, you know, cheaper, it's better for your production. The best case scenario seems to be the middle ground. They use the prosthetic effect, but usually when you do an elaborate prosthetic, it only works from one angle, mm-hmm. right? So if you need that other angle, then you get in there with the computer and you augment it. Or if the prosthetic effect doesn't execute quite perfectly, then mm-hmm. you can get in with the computer and you can augment. Mm-hmm. But if you do the whole thing with the computer, all of a sudden it's Pixar. All of a sudden, as good as it engaging and as pretty as it might look, I don't believe it. Yeah. The models carry weight. The models, the detail in the models read as real in a way that the details in CGI just haven't been able to get to no. yet. I, mean, I think it was 1992 and 93 with Terminator 2 and 
Jurassic Park, mm -hmm. respectively, where they say CGI can do anything. Yeah. But for some reason, from that moment, it seemed like everyone just started throwing away yeah. all the models, no. <laughs> all the makeup effects. And, uh, no, and, and looking back, like I've looked back to get Jurassic Park, and it holds up absolutely. very well. It holds up very well because it's a marriage of CG and definitely prosthetic. Is. And you know what? So is T2. Yeah. A lot of people will say, well, you know, Terminator 2. That's it, yeah. But those metal arms that he was chasing down the car, he was wearing on his real arms. Mm -hmm. You think they're CG. And if it was made today, they probably would, would be. be. But at the time that was shot, not. You know? like Anyway, we're getting off of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love, I love, I love Return of the Jedi. It is a worthy sort of climactic moment of the series. Mm -hmm. I think because the, the Ewoks and some of, you know, the goofiness maybe takes it down a notch from Empire Strikes yeah. Back, but I didn't feel like, oh, that's a disappointment. No. I still felt like the resolution was strong. Mm -hmm. I was happy with the result, you know. Uh, we got the payoff of Darth Vader is in fact the one who brought balance to the Force. And uh, that's as close to clever as I will give Lucas credit in the writing. I have yeah. to believe that was built in from the beginning. <laughs> if it wasn't, then I don't know where, where, where I go from there. <laughs> I have to reassess my entire life. If, if George Lucas didn't come up with at least that, then he should not have his name on Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. Uh, I feel like I've rolled over you. Is there anything you want to say about Return of the Jedi? Any scenes that you particularly connected with? I mean... I love the Yoda scene. I love the the Luke. I love the Luke Vader fight. My God, I love the Luke Vader fight. And that's what I thought lightsaber dueling was for yeah. the entirety of like the time that I was lightsaber dueling. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what matters. So, how much of your time did you spend lightsaber dueling? Um, <laughs> quite a bit, mostly on my own with my shadow and a big <laughs> stick. But yeah. I loved Star Wars, and as a kid, I didn't have a lot of the Star Wars toys for some reason. I was a big He-Man guy when I was a kid. I had Masters of the Universe and stuff like that. But as far as the fireworks that it set off in my imagination, and it's got to be up there right with Jaws, this original trilogy, as far as the movies that I've watched the most, mm -hmm. most especially that first movie, Star Wars, like, there was a while there where I just watched it all the time. Yeah. It was just what I did. If I, if I couldn't, if I was tired of color and if I was tired of whatever I was doing and there was no one else to play with, then I guess just watch Star Wars again <laughs> and be completely happy with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I love some Return of the Jedi. And, um, I mean, I, there's not a lot of negative to say. I, no. I mean, Lawrence Kasdan co-wrote the screenplay once again. And once again, this is the man who wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. He also wrote bodyguard but he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> and uh, you know this is what happens when George Lucas is a step removed I think you know yeah, uh, yeah they wrote the script together and uh, Kasdan sort of I think smoothed over some of the rough patches yeah. for us yeah. and uh, they hired a technically strong director who you know knows how to frame a shot and knows how to tell a story yeah. and uh, can get the production done without being necessarily too emotionally locked in. Yeah. I think in a way, hiring somebody to call the shots who hasn't been in it since ground, from the ground floor is always it, a good is a good call. Have somebody in there who's like, okay, here's the story I'm supposed to tell. How can I tell this story mm -hmm. well? 
not, you know, this is a story that I've been with for 20 years, yeah. that I've been waiting till this day to tell, <laughs> where it's just impossible stakes. Neither excited nor not excited about the Force Awakens movie. Uh, obviously, I'm going to see it relatively early in the theater. I'm, I've got some friends that are chomping at the bit, so maybe they've even pre-purchased tickets. I could I could easily wait yeah. another month or two um, if the reviews are lukewarm. Maybe that would would that be the worst? I don't know. Like I just imagine it would be okay. Like the Avengers movie, like good but instantly forgettable. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I, I was hurt so badly with the prequels that I really am not uh, holding out much hope. I'm not um, opening my heart up for, for more pain. I just can't. I can't do it. <laughs> I want the movie to be good, but like I have no immediate plan. I'm going to wait to see you know what other people are, are thinking on it. I mean, like... I'm certainly not lining up with the nerds. I mean, I'm a movie nerd. Clearly, I have a podcast. This is the 61st episode of Rank and Review we're talking on right now. So my my, my nerd flag is, is out loud and proud, but I will see the new Star Wars movie at some point. But that's where I'm at with it, you know? <laughs> I'm just... Yeah, and I actually think, I suspect it will be good. I suspect it'll be like a, a B. It'll be good enough. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably being... Like, it's not a labor of love. It's the Disney Corporation that's making it, although I'm sure the writers and directors and them all really liked Star Wars, but it's not a passion project. Mm -hmm. It is going to be released internationally. It's going to be the type of movie that can survive being translated. I, I, I don't see it being a great movie. But I don't, I don't see it being bad either. I think, um, okay, I mean, maybe this is exactly what you said earlier, but I think uh, George Lucas... I mean, people learn their lesson from George Lucas. It's like he the, set the uh, bar pretty low. Yeah, and he was like, <laughs> for all you history nerds out there, it was like the dry run for the Normandy invasion in Dieppe. It went so poorly that they could just see that every single element of it was so bad that they could go and and sort of cut that off at the pass. But even then, I think there might be something kind of reactive about the way that it's being written. Then that people are being. I, I, this is pure speculation, but I have a feeling that there's going to be something a little bit cautious about it. Yeah. What do you want out of this new Star Wars movie? What is your hopes for The Force Awakens? Well, this is a kind of a big burden to put upon the creators of the movie, but I'm hoping that this movie rekindles my zest for life <laughs> and makes me less depressed and turns my life around. <laughs> Wow, that's a, that's a high praise indeed. Well, it, you're joking, but honestly, my disappointment in going to see the prequels, especially that Phantom Menace, was probably the most, quote, soul-crushing theatrical disappointment of my life, period. <laughs> you know? And 
I, I know that The Force Awakens won't be that, but there's part of me that's really scared, which is why I'm not going opening night, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to line up for many hours. I'm not going to, you know, tent out to get my tickets. I will see it and I will see it on the big screen. I am excited to see it, but um, I want to return to form. I'm not expecting it to be as good as Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back, but I am expecting it to be significantly better than the prequels. Yes. As far as I'm concerned, we have seen the worst Star Wars movies. I'm with Have you. we seen the best? I don't know. I don't know. I'm with you when I say when you say that it was a soul-crushing experience. It really was for me. Yeah. After Phantom Menace, for me, my life outlook significantly changed. <laughs> significantly. I began to see good things as a declining. I began to think, yes, this is good now. But it will get worse. It will, it will decline in quality. I'll change, my outlook of it will change, or some other new thing that's added on will make it worse. And if this, a movie that's coming out can at least be better than the sequels, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> because it will, it will mean that I was wrong. And my shadow self, uh, as Carl Jung will, uh, would have said, it will have been completely destroyed. Mm. So... Here's hoping it's good. <laughs> wow, that's a, they put a lot of high stakes on that. Well, I mean, I want it to be really good too. I like. Um, I do not think, like I said, that that, that it'll be any worse than the prequels. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, realistically, that it'll fall somewhere in between. But I guess only time will tell. Well, I like that Lawrence Kasdan's involved. That's a good sign. Uh, and even if it's just like. Star Trek level, J.J. Abrams just did these two Star Trek movies, which were, you know, whatever. They were okay. Um, even if it's just that, it'll be such an improvement on the yeah. prequels. Um, so, yeah. Okay. But it'll be such an improvement in kind of a boring way. Like, I watched one of the J.J. Abrams Star Treks, and it was, uh, I mean, cards on the table, I do not like Star Trek. So mm -hmm. I would give it the lukewarm compliment of being the best thing that's ever been attached to the Star Trek label, but that's a pretty low <laughs> compliment. I mean, it was fine. It was watchable. Matt, uh, I don't I, want you to take any, say anything that you can't take back. <laughs> are you, you're not a Star Trek fan, are you? I am, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm slowly learning my way into the Star Trek. There will be a Star Trek episode at some point in the future here. So. <laughs> he wanted to do Star Wars all his life, but he got the gig doing Star Trek. Yeah. Great. I'm going to make Star Trek Star Wars. By that rationale, is Star Wars basically going to be Star Trek 3? I mean, have we already seen the new mm. Star Wars movies? Because basically, you're, you're right, like, he did turn Star Trek into Star Wars. He took, stripped out almost all of the science fiction out of Star Trek and made yeah. it a big, fun popcorn action movie. Which is fine, I like big, fun popcorn action movies, but that's what I think of when I think Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Star Trek gives you that, but it also tries to sneak in a little bit of, you know, science fiction, maybe education yeah. in there even, right? <laughs> that's sort of, you know, it's the, the, the sugar that helps the medicine go down or whatever. But that's not what I think about Star Wars. And I've often thought Star Wars is actually closer to fantasy than science Absolutely. fiction. So, uh, in that way, I feel like, you know, is this just another science fiction movie to J.J. Abrams? Is this going to be Star Trek 3? I, I don't. I don't know. All I all I can go off of is the trailers that we've seen and the yeah. interviews with of course. people. And yeah. you know, I, I know that as an actor, you can be in like even more denial than the fans ever will about how good a thing it's gonna be. Yeah. Um, 
the the trailers look good, but the trailers for the prequels looked good. That's trailers were designed to sell the movie and make it look good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... So how do we come to rank these? We've got six Star Wars movies and I've had six guests give me their ranking. And as opposed to charting them or scaling them or giving them points, I'm going to give you sort of a Coles Notes approach to this. What is uniform and perhaps is not unsurprising is that the prequels were always at the bottom of the list and the original trilogy was always in the top half of the list. The only real disparity is whether Star Wars is slightly better than Empire Strikes Back, or Empire Strikes Back is slightly better than Star Wars, or whether The Phantom Menace is worse than Revenge of the Sith, or Revenge of the Sith is worse than Attack of the Clones. And I'm not going to sort of sit down here and say that I have the answer for you. I'll say for my money, The Phantom Menace was the worst episode, Attack of the Clones was the second worst. Revenge of the Sith was the third. In third position, as far as the rank, Return of the Jedi. In second, for me, Star Wars. And in first position, The Empire Strikes Back. And yeah, there's some hums and hobs, there's some ticks and moans, not everybody's gonna agree with me. And I can't hand out prizes or not prizes for this because everyone's their own Star Wars best friend and worst enemy. The point is, the math is in. And the prequels just don't cut it. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. I hope you enjoyed these special episodes on the topic of Star Wars. Please do send me feedback at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please seek out the show on iTunes or on Facebook. And please tell that other movie friend in your life that... This podcast exists, it's good, and it's waiting for them. Thank you so much, you guys, and may the Force be with you.